0: We're talking quarterbacks on today's show. Mark Schofield, quarterbacks guru for USA Today's Touchdown Wire, joins the program, and we're talking Daniel Jones. We're talking Mike Lennon. We're talking Jake Fromm, and we're talking the future of the Giants offense and the quarterback position. This is a show, folks, you will not want to miss, and it's coming your way next. You are locked on
1: Giants. Your daily New York Giants podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day.
0: Hello, New York Giant fans, and welcome to another edition of the Locked On Giants podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast family, your team every day. Patricia Traynor here with you, and thank you so much for making the Locked On Giants podcast your first listen of the day. Or if you're watching us on YouTube, your first watch of the day. always appreciate you guys checking us out. And as I promised, Mark Schofield is with me here on the program. Mark has been a guest before, uh, quarterback expert. And really, he, he, he can talk about any aspect of the game. But quarterback is uh, his specialty. And you know, with all this talk about Giants quarterback, who better to bring on the program right now than Mark Schofield? Mark, thank you so much first of all, for coming on the program with me and happy holidays team, my friend. Happy
1: holidays to you, Patricia. It's great to be back with you. And I, I, I've joked before that I'm kind of bad news when I pop up on a team's podcast because if the quarterback situation is sorted out and the quarterback's playing well, you don't need me. But if things aren't going well, and I appear, it's it's kind of a bad sign. Like, I was on a Giants podcast recently with Jeff Winston, and I'm, and he was like, yeah, the only reason you're on is because we're a mess right now, quarterback. And so, I guess here I am to try to help you guys sort it out.
0: Well, you would be on regardless, because I just love your stuff. I love you. You know that. You know, we go back along. Thank you. you. So we do. We happy do. Happy to have you. Happy All to right, be here. So, let's start with Mr. Jones. Um, third year. I think it's probably safe to say he did not take the leap everybody was hoping he would take. Right. What kind of leap or what kind of progress did he make and what does he still need to do better?
1: Yeah, and I I remember being on with you before the season and that was the hope, right? That Daniel Jones, a lot of people looked at Josh Allen and said, okay, well, that's the hope, right? That he's going to take the Josh Allen type leap. He's going to turn himself into a great pocket passer that reads concepts well that makes decisions quickly that gets to the third or fourth read and a down with the eyes defeat the mind all working in sync and it didn't happen now has there been growth yeah I think you know pocket movement and management that has been a little bit of a growth area of his where he sort of handled the pressure in the pocket a little bit better than he's shown in years past I still think he remains a very good quarterback in the downfield passing part of the playbook I think that you know, for other reasons, they didn't rely on the vertical passing part of the playbook as much as I think I would have liked to have seen as much as I think as you know, Jason Garrett and company would have liked to have seen before Jason Garrett was fired and that, you know, there were problems with protection and things like that. But when Jones had time, I feel like that was what he was where he was at his best, pushing the ball downfield, reading vertical concepts in the passing game and things like that. Now. Really, the area where he needs to improve boils down to a single word. it's it's You know, he's inconsistent read in the middle of the field. He's inconsistent with ball placement. He's inconsistent with decision making. He's inconsistent in that there are many and far too many examples of him identifying his first read, pre-snap, and not really moving his eyes at any point. You know, you look at two interceptions he threw this year, for example, against the Rams, where he had a, a dig levels concept on the right side. And Taylor Rapp just read him the whole way, he knew exactly where he was going to go with the football. And there was nothing that he did with his eyes to sort of move any defenders or give any other indication that he was going to go anywhere else than that dig route he ended up throwing. And it goes for an interception. And so it's really just you see flashes, but then you see these inconsistent moments. And ultimately, we're like you said, year three. I mean, it's not like it's a rookie season or even his second year where it's like, all right, well, you still see these flashes. There's enough to sort of build upon. Let's go back and give it another run and we can be confident to we'll put it together. We're in year three and you're seeing sort of these repeated mistakes over and over and over again. And has there been growth? Yes. But I think ultimately, is there enough growth to be confident that Jones can be the guy you hoped he would be on draft night when you picked?
0: Okay, now let me ask you, um, a lot of people felt that Jason Garrett was the problem, that the system maybe wasn't quite the fit that we thought it would be for the Giants. How much of that was a factor? How much of it was it? the injuries? How much of it was a matter of, you know, we just maybe didn't see the whole offense the way it was designed to be? And what kind of effect did that have on Daniel?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think... My hope when they decided to hire Jason Garrett was that we're going to see a downfield pass and playbook that is going to be tailored to what Jones had shown that he was best suited to run. Because when they drafted him out of Duke, I thought you're gonna to have to construct a quick game offense with heavy RPOs, something that he sort of ran at Duke under under Coach Cutcliffe, because that was when he was at his best. And it turned out that Jones seemed much better. On vertical throws, reading vertical concepts, four verts out of two by two, three by one, levels, flood, sail, all that stuff. It seemed like that was where he was at his best. And the quick game stuff, just reading stick, for example, where you've got that little five-yard curl that could be an out. He would throw picks on that because he was just slow at reading it, would stare at it, and it's going the other way. And so you hire Garrett, and the hope is they're going to be a vertical passing offense. This is great. This is exactly what Daniel Jones needs. It never quite worked out that way. I did a study this past summer about sort of play calling and things like that. And they were a very conservative offense last season in terms of calling quick game concepts and not explosive concepts. They remained a sort of conservative offense under Garrett this year for the most part. Yeah, they sprinkled in some vertical stuff here and there, but it wasn't enough. It wasn't putting Jones in a position to be successful. Now it's easy to hear all that and say, "Well, it's Garrett. He's, he's the reason that you know he Jones was struggling and." Thank God they fired him. But there's more to it than that, because as I sort of mentioned earlier, when you can't get those concepts blocked up, you're not going to want to call them. Like if, if you're looking at a situation where you're struggling to find your five best up front, you're struggling to get the quarterback time, five, you know, step drop concepts, seven step drop concepts that need two and a half, three seconds, you don't feel comfortable calling those because quarterback's going to get sacked and instead of hitting on a big play it's now second and 17 and having read a lot of playbooks in my day there aren't a lot of plays for second and 17 or third and 20 or whatever. And so Garrett was stuck in a situation where he didn't feel like he could call that stuff. So you're seeing this quick game, these quick game concepts that maybe don't fit what Jones does best and Garrett unfortunately was the person that had to sort of fall on the sword first. I don't think he'll be the final change but I think that that was the easiest one to make because in the midst of the season, you couldn't suddenly add three new offensive linemen. You couldn't redo all protection schemes. You couldn't, you know, just decide we're going to run maximum protection on every snap because defenses will eventually figure that out. And so you try to make do and patch things together with a more conservative play call and quick game concepts and things like that. And so, you know, to the ultimate question, was Garrett the problem? He was part of it but I don't think it was all on him. I think that there were other external factors that forced him to start calling plays and get away from what Jones did best because of other situations and factors around the quarterback position that really have nothing to do with Garrett, that really have nothing to do with Jones. There are more roster construction issues that may lead to some other questions and decisions and, and moves that are made down the road.
0: So sticking with that offensive line for a minute there, how much of that inconsistency that we saw from Jones do you think might be a result of him not trusting his blocking?
1: I mean, you see it show up on footwork. You see it show up on decision-making. You know, when you see quarterbacks start to cut drops short when, you know, it's supposed to be a five-step drop and it's really a very quick five all of a sudden and instead of the full five-step, it's really just one, two, three, four, five, and I got to get this ball out. That's a moment where you know, okay, the quarterback doesn't trust what's happening in front of him. He's afraid that if he takes the full drop, if he gives this play the time it needs to develop, that he's going to get smacked in the mouth yet again. Now, the problem with that is if you're like footwork on drops, it's tied to the concepts in the routes. Right. And so if you're running a passing concept, say it's sale where you're trying to throw that deep, you know, 10 to 12 yard out route. If you're running that and you have a five-step drop from under center or maybe a three-step drop from gun, you know, if you cut that short, you'll have finished your drop, and the receiver's not yet at his point where he's going to even start its break. And so now you're sitting there in the pocket waiting and waiting, and what are you doing? You're looking right at that route, waiting for it to come open, and what is that free safety doing? What is that backside corner doing? They're just staring at you and say, oh, he's going to throw this. I'm going to drive on this. And then you get an interception and the ball is going the other way. And so that's sort of the problem with a quarterback that's sort of skittish back there that feels like they have to speed things up. When you hear people, you know, people that are play-by-play announcers, color announcers, whatever, and he or she says, oh, he sped himself up. That's what it looks like. And a great example of this, different quarterback, but Darryl Lofsky earlier in the year did a video on Sam Darnold doing this. And you could see Darnold would cut – a five-step drop into like three and a half. And then he's sitting there and he's waiting and he's waiting and the routes aren't even starting to break it because they're expected a longer draw. And there's also a problem with the protection. If you're expecting the quarterback to be seven and a half yards deep, and he's suddenly three and a half yards deep, it the blocking doesn't quite sync up right. And it, so, you know, there's a lot that can factor into these sort of breakdowns, but that's the main thing when the quarterback's mind gets sped up and he starts to cut things short it throws off the timing of routes, it throws off protections, and it draws your eyes as a defender to where he wants to go with the ball. And that's sort of the problem we started to see with Jones and with Donald and even cross town with Zach Wilson. They don't trust what's happening in front of them, they're speeding themselves up and they're just making things worse.
0: All right, Giant fans, still more to come on today's show, but first, Built Bar is going all out to make this holiday season the most delicious time of the year with a winter wonderland of a deal. Featuring amazing new flavors such as the Built Crave Bars, the amazing Puffs and Ruby Chocolate and Lemon Dip Cheesecake. And right now they're offering a limited time peppermint candy cane flavor. Built Bar is sure to have a flavor that will tickle your taste buds. Each Built Bar is low-carb, low-cal, low-sugar, and high-protein, and they're covered in real milk chocolate making them taste like a candy bar without the guilt. And right now for a limited time only, when you use our special promo code lock 15 you will save 15% off your order. That's right, visit BuiltBar.com, use our promo code LOCKED15, that's L-O-C-K-E-D-1-5, and get 15% off your first order at BuiltBar.com. <laughs> All right, Giant fans, we have more coming up on today's Locked on Giants podcast. But first, Stat Hero is the first of its kind daily fantasy sports platform where it's you versus the house in head to head fantasy matchups, winner take all. And here's the crazy part Stat Hero shows you their lineups before you play as you handpick the lineup that you want to face one-on-one. Sign up today for free right now at stathero.com locked on for a 100% deposit match. That's stathero.com locked on or use our promo code locked on for a 100% deposit match. Terms and conditions apply stathero.com locked (laughs) on. You're listening to the Locked on Giants podcast with Patricia Tran, special guest, Mark Scofield. We we're talking Giants quarterbacks. And Mark, uh, got to ask you just real quick about Freddie Kitchens, you know, that there was the switch to Kitchens as the play caller. I don't think we can call him officially the offensive coordinator, although you kind of got the impression once Joe Judge shuffled to staff, you, you kind of got the impression that's where they might be going. Has Freddie made much of a difference with the offense? I know he hasn't worked with Daniel because Daniel has had that neck injury, which we'll talk about in a second. But I just want to get your take on what you've seen from Freddie as a play caller regarding that passing game.
1: Yeah, I mean, there's been some more variety. You know, I I studied the, the game against Dallas um, last night to sort of get ready for this. And you, you see some no vertical concepts. You see some concepts off of play action. You see some half-field reads. And, you know, Kitchens, to his credit, did a pretty good job when he – sort of took over as interim offensive coordinator for for Baker Mayfield back in Cleveland. He opened up the playbook a little bit. He got on the same page with Mayfield. And I think you saw an effort to do that, you know, over these past couple of weeks with kitchen sort of calm plays, but a lot of the structural problems remain. Now you're on your backup or even your third string quarterback, you still have problems from a protection standpoint. And then so, it's similar to the Jason Garrett discussion. There's only so much that he can do. And now he's trying to be a bit more aggressive. He's calling some vertical concepts. He's calling some flood concepts. He's doing a lot in the sort of both run back family, which is a maximum protection design that the Giants have used with Jones, where it's both receivers, you know, they they been vertically and they can run curls, they can run corners, they can stay on goes. But, you know, it's still just a two receiver concept. They've done some stuff in that sort of area of the playbook. And so Kitchens has done some good things. But again, there, there's a lot of other elements at play that are sort of holding back in what he can fully do. I think if he trusted the offensive line, you'd see a lot more vertical stuff downfield. I, I think, you know, if you had a healthy quarterback in Daniel Jones, you'd probably see a lot more stuff downfield as well. But you don't have that full offensive line that you can trust. You don't have the healthy quarterback. And so you see some of these same problems that you saw in Garrett.
0: Major gaffe by the Giants to not address that offensive line. It just seems like that is, is the head. Yeah, if you it, will, it does I'll
1: seem think. like that's the issue. And look, I will say, having done my first of what will be far too many mock drafts that are worth basically nothing, but they're just a snapshot in time. This was back when the Giants, there were a couple of weeks ago when you know the Giants, the Jets and the Eagles had back to back picks, you know, one, two, one, two, one, two. I had them double dip an offensive line. Uh, the Giants, you know, tackle and guard. I had, you know, it was the NC State kid at tackle and then Kenyon Green, the Texas A&M kid at guard. Guard inside the top 10, I understand it's a little bit over reach, but they have to figure this out. You know, they have to figure out offensive line. And I know we're probably going to go here and I'm probably dipping into this early. The quarterback class isn't like we saw last year or maybe even the year before that. And so now that might buy Daniel Jones another year and we very well may end up that way. You know, we've seen, seen Daniel Jones talk about expectations of what he did and didn't do this year. We've seen Joe judge talk about expectations with Jones and what Jones did not did and did not do this year and and where he needs to improve. But for some of those bubble type quarterbacks, like a Jones, like a Baker Mayfield, perhaps, and the, you know, other quarterbacks where you wondered if they're going to get another shot next year, the, Hesitancy, the uncertainty of this incoming rookie class might give them a window of time, whether it's a full season or the first eight weeks of the season or something like that to perhaps solidify their status. I mean, I don't think looking at this next crop, there's a guy I will look at and say, yeah, he's ready to go week one. You know, the, the, Trevor Lawrence last year. Yeah. You knew he was ready to go week one. Zach Wilson, you know, he's probably going to get that shot week one. When Mac Jones fell to the Patriots, it was like, well, I could see him being ready to go week one. Eventually, that's what they did. Sitting here right now, I don't see that kind of player in this class. And so when you think about, well, what are the Giants going to do in the draft with the picks that they have? It might be an opportunity to double dip at offensive line or go offensive line and another position on the offense other than quarterback or go offensive line and go secondary or something like that. I don't think it's a year where you feel like I've got to force a quarterback pick in the top 10. Not that group.
0: Yeah, exactly. And I've heard that before from other people too who have said that, but, um, but let me ask you about Daniel as a runner, because that, you know, this neck injury he has, that's kind of where that came from. You know, he had right. like the concussion earlier in the season. The guy just refuses for whatever the reason to just slide. Now, I don't know if that's an acquired art, I don't know if that's him just wanting to show how tough he is or whatnot, but every time I see him take off as a runner, I say, oh my gosh, he's going to get dinged. And yeah. He, you know, he's gotten dinged now. Right. So, so my question is, is, you know, obviously he's got the mobility. You want to tap into that, but do you think maybe the Giants tapped into it a little too much with some of the design runs would you back them off of that i mean how would you treat that because obviously you don't want to cut something out of the offense that can help you but at the same time if your quarterback doesn't slide and protect himself it's a it's a sticky wick if you will it is
1: it is and you know it's one of those things i think you start with daniel and say look you know you have to like you put a cut up in front of him of guys like lamar you know guys like brady like there's quarterbacks across the sort of athleticism spectrum that are really good at protecting themselves. I think, you, you know, you watch Lamar Jackson and obviously Lamar, they use his legs a ton. He will turn every play into a square ball drill if he can, but Lamar is very adept at protecting himself. You know, there are moments where it's like he could perhaps try to make a move in the open field and turn it into a 70 yard run, but he'll be fine with a 45 yard run and sliding or, or dipping out of bounds because he doesn't want to expose himself to a big shot in the open field or along the sideline. And obviously Brady, certainly not the athlete Lamar is or Daniel Jones is for that fact, but he'll slide sometimes putting the spikes up a little bit, looking more like a, you know, base runner trying to break up a double play than anything else. But you know, you have to do those things to protect yourself. You know, some quarterbacks have learned it the hard way. Carson Wentz, you know, learned it the hard way. You know, his ACL injury was on a, a run and a dive for the end zone. You have to sort of learn to protect yourself. And I think that's where it starts. Because as you said, this was an offense that was struggling to get some consistency on the ground, struggling to find concepts that worked in the run game that would give them, you know, opportunities to hit on some plays. Not even to be a great run it's just to be an adequate run offense. And they incorporated Jones and his athleticism as a way to do that. You don't want to tamp that down. You don't want to remove that part of the playbook and you don't want to sort of take away something that he does very well, but you need him to take care of himself because, you know, it's not going to be in the long run cost beneficial. If yeah, you maybe steal a win here or there or get a touchdown here or there, but then in week 14, 15, he's done for the season because he hurt himself running. So I think it has to start with the quarterback. He has to start in the off season. Like, Going through drills, like working on this, like getting comfortable sliding, getting comfortable dipping out of bounds. And I understand from his perspective, fighting for an extra yard, you know, fighting for an extra yard or two, showing your teammates that yeah, i I know you guys put yourselves on the line physically down and down out. I can do that too. That's all great and all. Until you're on the sideline in December and you're looking at Jake From as your starting quarterback in the upcoming week. Like You got to be there for your team as well. It's so it's a cost benefit analysis. It's a thing that all athletic quarterbacks have to learn at some point. And I think Jones has to learn that for next season.
0: Definitely, because, you know, if he's trying to to live up to Eli Manning's shadows, which, you know, sometimes I wonder if he's if he's trying to to do that, you know, which is a tough, tough order for anybody. But, you know, Eli never missed a game due to injury because he knew how to take care of himself and he knew when to call it a day and live for the next down. And it it just right. got to be challenging for, you know, a young quarterback uh, coming in on those heels. And, and to that end, you know, I know you're not in Daniel Jones's head, this, but the psychological factor of following a legend like Eli Manning, I mean, how much of that do you think is playing into maybe Jones pressing too much or trying to, you know, being reckless. I mean, is that a factor at all? Or is that just, you know, look, coincidence
1: you know, this media market better than anybody. I mean, playing in New York city is not easy, you know, and you can look across town. It's not like the jets have a storied quarterback history. I mean, Ken O'Brien, Boomer Esiason, Joe Amos. I mean, that's kind of the laundry list there, right? Whereas Daniel Jones, you're walking in trying to fill the shoes of somebody that delivered two Super Bowls, that beat Tom Brady twice in the big game. Like, those are big shoes to fill. And if that was Indianapolis or Houston, let alone New York City, let alone being the quarterback of the New York football Giants, it's, it's a lot. It's why – when you start getting around draft time, there's discussions about how well can he handle the media market. Generally speaking, in New York City, not just Jones specific, but anytime you draft a player to to play for those teams, and so it, it's certainly tough to begin with. That is also tough stepping into shoes vacated by Eli Manning, who delivered two Super Bowl titles. And then there's also the aspect that when you're drafted that early, when there are doubts about you from people like me in the media who say, "I don't know about this Daniel Jones guy," like. I'm not so sure he's going to work out. You want to prove everybody wrong. And that plays into it, too. And so, you know, they, athletes, anytime you talk to an athlete, they say, oh, I don't listen to it. There are some that say, yeah, you know, I, like I screenshot everything like Baker Mayfield. But they all hear it. They all know, look, who said what about them, how people are viewing them in the media, how people are viewing them writ large. And it certainly plays a role. You want to prove people wrong. You know, the problem becomes when you're doing things that put you at risk physically, like Jones with the run game stuff, there are problems when you're trying to press too hard and try to fix everything with your arm. And now you're forcing throws into coverage. That's where it becomes a problem and a detriment to what you're trying to do, what you're trying to do, which is prove people wrong who have these doubts about you. So I do think there's a component to that. And it's tricky with a quarterback position because it's not one that you can play scared. It's not one that you can play afraid. But there's also, look, you can do some disservice if you're taking risks with the football, throwing it or running it, that sort of fall back on you, that backfire on you.
0: Definitely. Now, I'm going to ask you in a moment about um, Jake Fromm and Mike Lennon. But first, before I do, the Giants will probably have to get a new offensive coordinator. I can't see them sticking with Freddie Kitchens. Well, actually, I can be, because you know of the relationship with Joe Judge. I don't think they should. That said. Is there somebody in particular that you can think of, you know, whether it be a so, uh, pro uh, offensive coordinator, maybe an up-and-coming college offensive coordinator, who has a system that might be a good fit for what Daniel Jones does well, assuming, of course, they fix that offensive line?
1: I am going to, as I did at the last offseason, I am going to say this name every time I'm asked this, Pep Hamilton, uh, now with the Houston Texans. I see Justin Herbert last year coming to a situation where there were similar doubts about Herbert in some quarters, although some of us liked him more than others. Um, he has, gets pressed into action in his second NFL game, making a start against the defending Super Bowl champions and just takes over, just takes over. And I look at Anthony Lynn, the head coach, Shane Steech and the offensive coordinator, who's now in Philadelphia and Pep Ellington was the quarterback coach. And I see what they did with Justin Herbert. I look at Pep Hamilton now, who's passing game coordinator and quarterback coach uh, for the Houston Texans. And he's got Davis Mills playing pretty well on a roster that is just really thin. I look at what Pep Hamilton has done just these two past years alone, and I think that's somebody that I want as an offensive coordinator, if I have a young quarterback, generally speaking, I would say this to people in Chicago. I've said this to people about Jacksonville. Like, look, I I want Pep Hamilton as my offensive coordinator if I have a young quarterback to begin with. But then you look at what they did with Herbert last year, right? Vertical stuff, play action stuff, attack downfield, cater the passing game and the offense generally to his strengths. This is what every team should do. This is what I'm sort of clamoring for the giants to do with Daniel Jones. And so I think, look, If I'm in the room, if I'm a member of the Mara family, if I'm Joe Judge, if I'm David Gettleman, I'm flying down the day this season is over to Pep Hamilton and saying, what would it take for you to be the offensive coordinator of the New York Giants this year? I mean, I would say this for every team, but specifically with the New York Giants. Yeah, I think Pep Hamilton would be perfect.
0: Yeah, can't be any worse than, you know, what they have. Again, they have to fix the offensive line. Yeah, they have to fix the offensive line. That's number one.
1: With respect to the offensive line, I'm taking the Brinks truck to Dante Scarnecchia. And I know you're retired, Dante. I know you're fishing, you're spending time with your family. What would it take for you to get out of retirement and fix this offensive line? Because the offensive line is an issue. And, you know, if they take two early picks on offensive linemen, if they go one early and then a couple in the middle rounds, if they try to find some money in free agency to pry some people away from other teams, whatever it takes. But I think you got to get Dante in there, too, to
0: try to help out all right giant fans still more to come on today's locked on giants podcast but first it's the most wonderful time of the year as college football gears up for the bowl season the nfl season is coming to a close when the playoffs are taking shape and the NBA and NHL are in full swing. And no matter what sport you follow, Bet Online has you covered all holiday season long with more props, more odds, and more lines than ever before. Head on over to their new and updated desktop or mobile website at betonline.ag and sign up today for an account. And when you use our special promo code LOCKEDON, you will get a 50% welcome bonus. Again, that's promo code locked on. So don't wait. Take advantage of all the amazing offers that BetOnline has today. Visit betonline.ag and get your 50% welcome bonus with the code locked on. All right, Giant fans, we've got more coming up on today's show, but first we know it, the Giants aren't going to be in the Super Bowl this year, but you know what? There's no reason that you can't be. So and you can be there at Super Bowl 56 at Los Angeles' SoFi Stadium with On Location, which is the official hospitality partner of the NFL. On Location allows you to select your exact seats and customize your elite experience, which includes an exclusive pre-game celebration with NFL legends, five-star Los Angeles hotels, and foods prepared by the legendary chef Wolfgang Puck visit OnLocationExp.com SB56 for more information or search Super Bowl On Location. The Super Bowl will be here before you know it, and if you wanna be there, get there with On Location. Again, that's OnLocationExp.com slash SB56. So you're listening to the Locked On Giants podcast. Patricia Trainer here with Mark Schofield. You can catch him on uh, USA Today's Touchdown Wire. Is that correct? That's right. Blue USA Today Touchdown Wire. Yeah. yeah. And uh, excellent work. If you are not in Big Blue View, let's not forget Big Blue yeah. View. Our friends. Don't with don't, get yes. don't get Ed Bad. Don't get Ed mad i can't forget ed mark does a great job folks he he breaks down film i mean the man is just awesome love talking ball with him all right mark i've got to ask you now about the current giants quarterback situation because there are still three games left they have a little bit of a dilemma here mike glennon has just not been very good you know i look at mark, mike glennon and tell me if I if i'm seeing things he, when he throws the ball, he doesn't quite get it within the receiver's catch radius, and they have to work for it, which to me kind of slows the play down, number one, and puts them at, in harm's way. Um, what are you seeing from Mike Lennon? And then we'll talk about you know Jake Fromm in just a bit, but I want to get your take on, on Glennon.
1: I think you're exactly right about Glennon. And what I'm seeing about Glennon are a bunch of reasons why you have to start Jake Fromm going forward. I mean, you see what Mike Lennon is and is not. And I think at this point of the season, as the Giants, you are in full on evaluation mode. You have to be in evaluation mode for 2022. You have to start thinking about what are we going to need to do? What are our needs going to be going into next year? And I don't even know if you can look at Mike Glennon, the way he's played and think this is our backup going forward. Forget about QB one. I don't even know if you could be comfortable that he's QB two. I think that evaluation process is done as well. So I think you have to take the rest of these, these three games, and give Jake Fromm an opportunity to show what he can do because he's a bit more of an unknown commodity. He had some nice throws in this game, like he had a deep out route to Galladay on a third down against Dallas that I really liked. Now arm strength is going to be a bit of a concern with him, but you know, we had a follow-up deep shot to Galloway that kind of hunt in the air a bit. Galladay making play, but I think you have to take these three games and see what you have in From. Can he be a QB2 type? If so, great. Now you've at least solved that part of the equation. Can he potentially push Jones for QB one? Do you see enough from Jake Fromm over these next three games that make you think, all right, we like what we might have in Jake Fromm more than the uncertainty of a Kenny Pickett or a Matt Corral or a Malik Willis or a Carson straw, or whoever you could possibly think of in the upcoming draft. I mean, you might look at that and say, no, we still are more intrigued by one of those guys and go down that road. And that's fine. But I think you have to figure out the Jake Fromm part of this quarterback puzzle because if you see enough of him that makes you think he could potentially push jones into a legitimate quarterback camp battle next year that frees you up to maybe go in a bunch of different directions in the draft and free agents now maybe you don't maybe over these next three games jake Fromm throws 17 interceptions and all right now you know it would be bad. I saw Patricia just roll her eyes and yeah, we don't want to see that, but at least you would know. And then, okay, now we go quarterback in the draft or now we take a wild swing at a Russell Wilson trade or an Aaron Rogers free agency deal or something like that. Even though I know numbers and stuff might make that tough, but at least you would know. And so I think you take these, we've seen what Mike Glennon is. We know what he is and is not, and there's more is not than is in that sort of equation. And so I think you take this opportunity to look at Jake from give him a three game evaluation games that will mean, you know, things to, you know, a lot of players, because this is the time of year where players that are on the roster fringes are playing for jobs now. And so you take this opportunity, see what you have in Jake from, maybe you're surprised, maybe he's QB two material and Hey, you've answered that question too. Maybe you're, you're blown away by what he does and all right, we we can we've got two guys now going into next year that we know what they can do we don't have to force quarterback if a guy like carson strong falls to like the second or the third round because of medical concerns if that knee doesn't check out then great or a guy like kenny pickett slides or somebody else slides then sure absolutely but you don't have to force it or maybe you're in a position where you're unsure about jones you're unsure about pickett and you have to you i mean uh, Fromm, excuse me, and then you feel like you have to address it a little bit earlier than you'd like. But I think you take this opportunity to evaluate Jake Fromm going forward.
0: Oh, totally agree. Totally, totally agree. Now, he, here's the thing, though. You know, Joe Judge, and, and maybe you can clarify this, because to me, I, I don't know if I understand totally where he's going with this point. But Joe has said now twice that, OK, yeah, Jake came in and, you know, he moved the ball and looked like he had the, the good command of the huddle and so on and so forth. But... was at the end of the game you know the last drive things were different and whatnot don't quarterbacks usually kind of blot that out and focus on the now so i mean what what else does does uh judge need to see he mentioned today for example oh we're going to do a few things to kind of evaluate these guys in practice what is he referencing and What else does he need to see? I mean, granted, it's a small sample size, I suppose, but practice is all they're going to have. So what do you think it's going to take for Jake Fromm to just say, hey, look, coach, put me in? Yeah,
1: I mean, I I think what Judge is sort of getting to is, you know When he was in, Dallas wasn't doing much in terms of disguise and things. They weren't doing much in terms of blitzes. It was just, look, we'll play cover three, we'll play cover four, we'll play cover two. We're not going to ch- change things up. We're not going to really spin the safeties at the snap too much. It's not going to be exotic looks that you're going to have to figure out. It was va- basically vanilla, like first week of the preseason type of stuff that From made some good fl- reads and throws against, which is fine. But I think what judges referred to was, this was all well and good against vanilla, you know, week one, first preseason game type of defense is what would he look like against a defense that's trying to confuse him, a defense that's stunting, a defense that's blitzing him, a defense that's mugging him and drop it or going zero blitz and things like that. And that's more the reason to give him starts, put him into those moments. You can try to replicate that in practice. And you and I have talked over the years about is a lot of difference between watching from the sidelines, doing things in practice and doing it on an actual NFL Sunday. You can try to replicate some of those looks on the practice field on a Thursday afternoon, but until you're under center and you see Micah Parsons on the other line of scrimmage and he's mugged up in the A-gap and you're trying to figure out if he's coming after you or not, you're not going to know how you're going to handle those moments. And so I think that's more evidence that you need to let this kid start some games here. Like You need to get him into those moments where they really matter. It's not practice squad guys on the other side of the line of scrimmage mugged up in the A-gaps. It's Singleton for the Eagles. It's other guys on Washington. It's other NFL players on an NFL Sunday, first quarter, first and 10, 1459 left in the first quarter. And now you got to figure this out. So I understand what he's saying, but I think it's more evidence that, yeah, it's time to let this kid play for the next three weeks and see what you have. In him.
0: Now, at this point, you know, obviously from has only been here for I think this is his fourth week. Hasn't had time to really learn the intricacies of the playbook. And I believe the Giants system is different than what they run in yeah. Buffalo. Is it is yeah. it a vast difference? And, you know, is anything to transfer over?
1: Thankfully, it, so many playbooks now, there's a lot of carryover. There's a lot of it, – it's not like, say, 15 years ago where we're West Coast offense, that's what we're doing. Or we're a Coriel offense, that's what we're doing every team runs mesh, every team runs levels, every team runs smash. Like, you know, they might not call it as much, um, but it's in there. The big difference is terminology. The big difference is terminology. Um, you know, what, what might be mesh in one system would be railroad and another, like the terminology is different, you know, and quarterbacks struggle with that Tom Brady last year, struggled with terminology deep into the season. And he said in the off season that November, December, he was still struggling to figure out plays. Now, one thing that is somewhat similar in the two systems, the hot reads and the blitz pickup stuff. You know, there's there's a lot of s- sort of similar ways in how Dable's offense sort of handles blitzes and hot reads and the, the Garrett system that they're still basically running handles that because you last year with Brady it was hugely different between how new England handles hot reads and how Arians handles hot reads in new England. It's usually, you know, quick throws to the tight end release and vertically. Whereas in the Arians system, your hot might be a shallow route from the X receiver coming from the backside. And so there are moments last year where you could see Brady's not sure where to go on a hot throw Gronk's looking for the ball because that's what he's used to too. But you've got the X receiver who's really the hot read on the play. He's not getting the football. And so, you know, thankfully for from there's some similarities in how these two offenses handle those moments. But yeah, I mean, there is some terminology differences that will have to be figured out. And, you know, he's had some time to get up to speed with that. But thankfully, in the greater scheme, big picture, every team runs the same stuff now. It's just a matter of how often they call it. So, you know, whether it's railroad or mesh or whether it's, you know, Yankee or post over or whatever, they'll figure out the terminology. The concepts are the same. It's now making sure you're doing the right thing.
0: Alright, now, final question. Obviously, the Giants have to make a decision on Dan- Daniel Jones's, uh rookie year option by, I think it's the week after the draft. What do they do at quarterback? I mean, if you're them, do you pick up that option or do you do you let him play next year and see if he can hold up? Do you bring in Russell Wilson if you can swing it? What, what exactly yeah, would you I- do?
1: I mean, if you could acquire a Russell Wilson or an Aaron Rodgers, obviously you try to do that. Yeah. Um, they're elite talents at the position. And even though Wilson has sort of struggled the past couple of years, I, I still think he's among the games more talented quarterbacks. But those would be hard moves to swing. You, we all know the sort of cap implications of a Rodgers deal and with the cap situation in New York right now. And what would the trade cost be for uh, Russell Wilson? Three first-rounders I read. Are you willing as an organization to give up three first rounders, even though you have two right now for Russell Wilson? And I don't that's a steep price to play when you have so many other issues. Like what happens if you acquire Russell Wilson and he's playing behind this current offensive line? I don't think it's gonna look any better. Yeah. I mean, maybe Wilson makes some more splash plays, but I don't think it's gonna be worth the cost. And so I think ultimately. They're probably going to be in a, a position where they either pick up that option or just kind of kick the decision down the road a bit. And I think he's the week one starter. Daniel Jones is, I think the deeper question is, is, is he the week, week eight starter? Is he the week 12 starter next year? Right. Cause he do enough to sort of hold on to that job because everybody says, look, three years, quarterbacks got to figure it out by the third year, et cetera, et cetera. Because of all these extenuated circumstances, he might've bought himself that fourth year, but the door is closed. Like, he's got to really show at some point that, yeah, I can be the guy. All these inconsistencies you see from me on film and reading the field, making reads, going through progressions, all that stuff, ball placement, all that stuff, I'm finally putting it all together. And maybe a revamped offensive line will help him get there. You know, you can't take the weapons argument now because they invested in Galladay, they drafted Tony. Like, they've added weapons if they fix the offensive line and we're here, say, Halloween next year, you've got – He's got all day to throw. He's got weapons that are open and you're still seeing his mistakes. Is it Jake Fromm? Is it Kenny Pickett time? Is it Carson Strong time? Like, I think, you know, if you can kick the can or you, you know, pick up the option, whatever, he's the week one starter, but is he the week eight starter? Is he the week 10 starter? That's where I'm more at on it right now. Like I think because of everything that's going on, he's probably gonna earn himself a shot at it again next year. Can he show that he can hold on to it? Is the deeper question.
0: You know, for me, also the availability question. Yes, yeah. He's missed time now yeah. every single year. And, you know, yeah. this is the most amount of time I think he's missed. So for me, you know, and I've gone back and forth on this cap decision because the option year is going to cost them upwards of 21 mil. And they'll have the space. But yep. I, me personally, I, I, I don't know. And I'd it, be reluctant to pick that up.
1: And the other thing is, if they make a change at general manager, Now you're getting a new general manager and he or she might have looked at Daniel Jones when Jones was coming out and not liked him at all. Mm -hmm. That's another factor here. Um, David Gettleman made the decision to draft Daniel Jones. Um, It was, you know, people liked it at the time. People didn't like it at the time, whatever. Now we're in a situation where you've seen Daniel Jones. You've seen what Gettleman has done from a roster construction standpoint. If they make a change at general manager, you might get somebody who comes in that had Daniel Jones as quarterback six in that class and does not like Daniel Jones at all, and might look at a guy like Pickett or Matt Corral or Carson Strong or whomever and really prefer that because then you've got a cost-controlled quarterback. You don't have to face that decision right away. You're not facing that upwards of $20 million, like fifth-year option. Maybe that's the decision that that person makes. And so the, the first piece of this might be the Gettleman decision. Now, I haven't read anything either way on that. You probably know a lot more about that. I know you know a lot more about that than I do. But where they go with the general manager decision might ultimately be where they go with the quarterback
0: decision. Well, I do know Joe Judge likes Daniel, or at least he said so publicly. Because yeah. Joe was never going to say he doesn't like a guy or whatnot. Right. But, you know, I've asked him. I know another person asked him recently, and he said he has seen enough from Daniel to go forward with him. Now, is it because he doesn't have anybody else? Is it because he really believes that with a better offensive line, Daniel will be better and take that leap? Yeah. I don't know the answer, but – you know, that's a good point because Gettleman, I I think he retires after this really? year. Yeah. Um I I do not think he will be back um uh, next year. I'd be stunned if he is. Um now if they promote from within, which uh I know there was a report that they might do, which right. I hope they don't do by the way. Um then you know that they they kind of support that that whole move. So right. I, I don't know. It's just it's a to me, I wouldn't pick it up because worst case scenario, if, you have, if he has a great year, you franchise him the following year. It's not that much difference. It's, I think it's like yeah. a three million dollar difference between the option year amount of twenty one plus and then whatever the franchise amount is going to be, or something like that. You know, I forget the number. And if but- and if
1: he's done enough to make you think at that point that he's worthwhile, then it's a three million. It's an easy three million dollar yeah. investment. Yeah, I think that's probably the approach. I think you're right.
0: Yeah, but you know. What I think and what they think, you know.
1: Right.
0: <laughs> you don't right. always listen to me on The Cat Matters. But, <laughs> but uh, anyway, Mark, my friend, excellent stuff as always. I appreciate your insight. Um, folks, you can find Mark's work on uh, Big Blue View. You can find him on USA Today's Touchdown Wire. I'll put all that in the show notes. I'll also put his, uh, you can also see his uh, Twitter handle. It'll be underneath uh, his, his picture there. And I uh, want to thank you, as always, Mark. Have a wonderful holiday to you and yours. Giant fans, thank you so much for tuning in. We will talk to you on Monday.